Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. This is episode 12, and I'm very excited to be joining you this first podcast of the year with a couple of great guests to talk about the iPad. The iPad is a subject I am intrigued by because the people who are fans of it are very passionate about it, and those who dismiss it uh, do so vehemently in some cases, but but we only have fans today. So uh, my guests are, first of all, Josh DeLioncourt, who is the founder of the Maxisability Roundtable podcast and the author of the Dragon's Brood series of novels. Hi, Josh. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. And my second guest uh, in my famous podcaster series would be Mr. Mike Hurley, the co-founder of Relay FM, host of co-host of podcasts such as Upgrade Connected and The Pen Addict. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for having me, and that's quite an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we try. Um, so I wanted to get you guys both on because I know that you are either, as I, as I put it in the doc I made for the show, uh, iPad primary or iPad dominant in the way you work. So, yep. so let's get that out of the way first. How much of your working and entertainment life, if you wish, is, is on the iPad versus other kinds of devices? Josh? Uh, I would say at this point, I'm probably iPad dominant, but heading in toward primary, it, it's ever increasing. <laughs> so, uh, especially, uh, especially now I've, I got one of the new 2018 iPads and, uh, am in Oh, we'll get to your device. iPad rig in a yep, second. <laughs> yep. But, uh, yeah, it, it's been, uh, over the span of several years, it's been ever increasing. So, um, it's, it's quite a bit and more all the time. So for me... Uh, it all kind of started uh, with any real desire in 2015 with the launch of the iPad Pro, the original iPad Pro. And it's it's difficult for me to say um, how I am iPad dominant or whether, because it depends on whether you're looking at time or kind of activities or focus. Probably in time, I spend more time on the Mac because I record and edit podcasts and they're very time-intensive things. But they are literally the only things I do on my Mac. Everything else is done on my iPad. So I consider my iPad as my main computer and my Mac as a almost focused content creation tool. Like that's the, it, All it does is produce the shows and everything else, all of the running of my business, all of my entertainment, all of my kind of leisure, my uh, connecting with other people, that is all done on the iPad. I'll just add, kind of echo a little bit of that as well, that uh, like mostly I'm kind of doing everything on the iPad, and the Mac has become basically what I use for the things that I can't do on the iPad. So specifically recording things like this podcast, um, and, uh, like music production, cause I record music, uh, and development in Xcode, things like that. So, well, I want to get into all that in, in depth, but, uh, first let me sort of set the, the playing field here. Describe your current iPad rigs, if you would. I have a 2018 12.9-inch iPad Pro with the keyboard folio case and the Apple Pencil. <laughs> I'll take one of everything. I was going to say, uh, Mike, I, I, I'll just sit back for a while and wait because I know you have a lot to say. <laughs> All right. So my current like in-use iPads at home, I have both uh, iPad Pros, the 11 and the 12.9, 
my 11 has LTE and the 12.9 doesn't. Um, I have keyboard folios for both of those and an Apple Pencil for each of those as well. So I didn't really put a question in about the keyboard folio, and I guess that's one thing I'm, I'm sort of curious why that was like a must-have accessory for, for both of you guys, because it wouldn't have occurred to me. I've been a third-party keyboard case person for a while on my iPad Pro, so, so, and the keyboard folio, not cheap. No, I got it for a couple of reasons. So I was using the smart keyboard on my previous iPad Pro, which was the 9.7 inch. And um, I didn't use it as much as I thought I was going to. And that was primarily because, well, two reasons. But the main reason being that it was too cramped to type on. It's just too small. And uh, when I got the 12.9, I was really excited to get the full-size keyboard. But I also wanted something that was going to be very minimal uh, in bulk, and that that brought me back to it as well. Also, uh, the the 9.7's uh, keyboard, smart keyboard, was uh, it, it was. As several people have talked about this on on ATP, and Mike's talked about it on Upgrade and things. It's very unstable uh, in your lap, and they've basically fixed that with the new one. And uh, that makes that's a way that I use the iPad a lot. And uh, so they kind of they solved the main problem and I solved the uh, or one of the problems and I solved the main problem by uh, by going up in size to the 12.9. So and I do a ton of writing. So it's it's something I have to have. So. But you you wanted I mean, I don't know if they're even third party cases for the 12.9 yet, but you wanted an Apple product or you wanted a keyboard right away or you looked at the folio and said, that's for me or how did yeah, that happen? Well, I wanted, so I, I didn't really want Bluetooth. I've had, there, there's always been a little bit of flakiness with Bluetooth keyboards on the iPads. At, at least I haven't used a Bluetooth keyboard on an iPad in a long time, but at least there used to be. And so that's kind of turned me off to them kind of in general. And um, I just, I, all of the, uh, third-party stuff I've seen is just, uh, it's just too bulky. And I wanted something that's kind of like as low a profile as I could get. So for me, the iPad is a product that requires a keyboard for a lot of what I do with it. Um, I, I, I find it more and most comfortable when I'm writing anything longer than like a tweet that I would prefer to use a keyboard. Um, you know, because it, allows me to use a keyboard it gives me more screen to look at and also gives the ipad its own like structure to stand either in my lap or on a desk or whatever um you know so the keyboard acts as a stand as well as a keyboard and i used the smart keyboard for a long time i ended up moving to the bridge keyboard on my previous which effectively turns the uh ipad pro into a laptop you know it, it is a has an adjustable hinge it's Bluetooth, but the battery lasts for quite a long time. Uh, it has backlighting, which will affect the battery life, depending on if you want to use it. Um, and I really love that. I'm a big fan of that product. But the current new iPad Pros, uh, Bridge, do not have keyboards ready. Apparently, they will have keyboards available for those next year. Um, it looks pretty interesting. Uh, I'm excited about it. And I will definitely get it for the 129 uh, because that device mostly stays at home. It actually always stays at home. It, it doesn't leave home. So I don't mind having the extra kind of weight and bulk on that one. 
Um, and I will be moving to that and giving that a, a real go, uh, because if it's anything like the previous, uh, bridge keyboard for the previous 12.9, I will be very, I'll be very happy. But for me, the, the a keyboard is an essential part, um, of, of an iPad pr- uh, to me. It isn't the same for everyone. I don't necessarily believe the product has to be used that way, but considering the type of work I do, uh, which is, in, on my iPad in general, a lot of communication uh, in text, I find a keyboard just to be more comfortable. I mean, to me, that's a baseline. I feel like there probably are people who, especially who are doing, I don't know, maybe maybe more drawing or, or something that involves more touch that wouldn't feel compelled to have a keyboard. I always do. My issue is do I want the Apple smart key, whatever Apple is offering, am I going to spend that money? Am I going to get more benefit than I would? And I I realize, as I say, the iPads are new. And so third-party keyboards aren't as available. But, you know, to me, I'm I'm one of those people who's very picky about my own keyboards. And so I guess I'm wondering, how how do those keyboard folios feel uh, to type on? And do you feel like you, you made a good choice from that point of view? Or did you just choose what was available? Uh, so far, I'm really happy with the, the Folio keyboard, so uh, much, much happier than I was with the original. I, I also waited uh, a few weeks before I ordered anything as well to listen uh, listen to the various reviews that came out, mostly Marcos and Mike and Jason <laughs> uh, talking about... Uh, you know, the, what they thought of it and what they thought of the, the, uh, folio. And I mean, I think the reviews overall in the folio were a little bit mixed, but it sounded like what I wanted. So, um, I ordered one, figured I would return it if I wasn't happy with it. And I, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. I mean, I was always happy with the, um, smart keyboard too. Uh, and the, the keyboard folio, the actual keys themselves, they feel very, very, similar if not exactly the same uh i think to the smart keyboard but the smart keyboard had its own issues when it came to stability and stuff like that especially when being used on a lap in my opinion the uh the 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 ipad keyboard line so like the smart keyboard and smart keyboard folio they are my favorite keyboards that apple makes today i think they're far superior to the laptop keyboards in the way that they feel and the travel um plus you can't get dust and grit into them it's just not possible because it's like a there's like a fabric covering and everything and and the magic keyboard is fine but i prefer the way that the smart keyboard sounds and feels and i really like i think it's a great it it is a great keyboard not just a great compromise right of of being of portability um so i i think they've done a great job with that to be honest and mike you said that you once you get that bridge keyboard on your iPad, it will be even more like a laptop. So I guess my mm-hmm. question, and and this is the crux of why I wanted to have this conversation, because I've heard you and a lot of people talk about the iPad as something that was completely usable as a workhorse device. You should jump in the water because it's fine. You don't have to use a laptop. You can. There's a way to do it. But I guess my question is, what's the reason for taking that step not so much that you can do it but why did you choose to do it as opposed to just sticking with laptops i enjoy ios like i i I get a feeling of uh of not just like enjoyment satisfaction um the the apps that i want to use are there uh and they're being more readily updated as well as New applications, new exciting apps. They are, they are on iOS. That's where they are. Um, 
I find myself more drawn to wanting to use iOS than macOS. And, you know, I've been using the Mac since 2005. Like, you know, I'm not a... Like I'm not a person who has no history with Macintosh, right? Like I've been using them for as long as I could make my own purchasing decisions for computers. Uh, and so, but I just, and I love the Mac, but I have a different attachment to iOS. Uh, you know, iOS is the operating system that I got to see grow from nothing. You know, like it, that's the one that I saw go through its whole arc, but it's just the one that I find myself it works the way my brain works and it's just what I ultimately find myself wanting to sit down in front of. Are, are there things that you would like to see iOS do differently? Well, and not, not big picture stuff like file management, but just sort of the way it feels to work in iOS. That's comfortable for you. But are, but are there things about macOS that you would like transferred to that platform in, in that same way? If we're if we're like issuing big picture stuff for the moment, there isn't anything, you know. Like I, I have a, like a bunch of big things I would like, right? Like different file management, the ability to make an edit podcast, right? Like uh, the ability to have multiple instances of the same app, like Windows, but something different. Not just I don't want to take like what a windowing system looks like and put it on the iPad because I think that that's a bad idea. But the ability to have maybe as a lot of people talk about tabs in apps that could be swapped with other apps. So you could have, for example, two different multitasking pairs with two different Google Docs. So there's multiple instances of Google Docs happening, that kind of stuff. That all sounds great. But from like the general day-to-day things that the Mac does, there isn't. I can't think of anything that I would want iOS to do. Um, it tends to just be big picture things, but I don't want any of the big picture stuff that exists on the Mac to just be straight up moved to iOS. I, I like how they're re- rethought, you know? Um, I, I, I tend to, to enjoy that, and, and I, you know, I don't want to see Finder. Like, I like the Files app. The Files app just needs some work, but, like, I have no problem with the Files app, you know? Like, it works. It, it does the job that I want it to do. I just want it to do more of it. You know, like, I like shortcuts, you know, I don't want automator. I don't want the command line. Shortcuts is great for me. Like that, that that's perfect for me. So it isn't, a, it, I, I don't really think there's anything small to be honest, because the small stuff doesn't really appeal to me anymore. Josh, how about you? Why is the iPad so important to you? Why did you move from Mac? You said you moved gradually. So I'm guessing that it was less about just saying, I like this better than that, and more finding that you could do things on your iPad just as well as you used to be able to do them on macOS? Yes, and and I think it's a little a little bit more complicated. So I, I do, over time, I've grown to really like uh, iOS a lot, like Mike is talking about, just enjoying using it. But um, there's some other aspects to that, too, that I think play a little bit more specifically into... Uh, the accessibility side, not so much in how it's different from Mac as far as accessibility goes, but just how the system is de- different in general. So, um, first of all, I've always uh, I didn't lose my vision until I was six, so I have memory of uh, of having vision, and I have continued to be a very visual thinker. I guess <laughs> I visualize everything basically when i'm using uh any sort of computer i have the 
you know, the display mapped out in my head. What does this look like right now? And it's not something I try to do. It just happens automatically in my brain. And with iOS, it's a lot less effort because the way the voiceover works, you touch a part of the screen, voiceover tells you what is under your finger. So you can get a much more sort of spatial um, understanding of the uh, screen that you're using much, much better than you can on any sort of traditional computer computing system, whether that's Mac or Windows or whatever. So there's that part of it. And then um, kind of in conjunction with that, now that we have the multitasking options on the iPad, where you can have uh, a couple or three apps on the screen at once, um, that's something that with a screen reader on the Mac or Windows or whatever, you just could never have, right? Like the screen reader will only interact with one window at a time. And you're forced to command tab, even if both windows are visually available on screen in order to use them, you're constantly command tabbing uh, or alt tabbing or whatever from one to the next. Um, and they're completely separate. Whereas I can have two apps up on the screen at once on an iPad and use both um, together. So, you know, a couple of small examples of that. I've got mine set up in a pair where I've got uh, Twitterific and Icro, which is a micro.blog client, uh, set up as a pair. So whenever I'm doing social media, they both come up and I can kind of peruse both uh, on each side of the screen at, you know, at my leisure or whatever. And, uh, or, you know, like yesterday, I've got uh, a big trip coming up and I was uh, putting some of the flight information into calendar and I could have both of those apps op open at once. And, you know, for you know, sighted user, this is, this is how iOS has been for three or four years now. Um, but it's still sort of extraordinary, uh, from, I think for a voiceover user, because we, we've never had that on any, uh, system, any GUI based, uh, system in decades. I think that thing about voiceover on iOS is, is a super good insight because I know when I tried to learn both iterations of voiceover, iOS was just much more intuitive to me as somebody who both has vision and uses speech on occasion, like I go in and out of it. So I didn't have to be in voiceover on the Mac and almost never was. And on iOS, when I taught myself voiceover in order to write my book, it just, it made sense. And going back to the Mac and learning voiceover after having learned it on the iOS was really frustrating, even though I'm super focused on keyboard use and all that kind of stuff that you would think would make me a great voiceover user. And I think that insight of spatial awareness is is super interesting. I assume with that, that um, voiceover was built after the Mac had begun, right? Oh, yeah. But, am I right? Yeah. yeah. So voiceover came that... in, in Tiger. So yep. there were oh, earlier... Right. Yeah, okay. There were okay. earlier screen reader tools back in the iOS pre pre OS 10 days but mm -hmm. vo voiceover didn't appear till Tiger and then it didn't appear on iOS until the 3GS in which was 2 years after the iPhone was released okay so that may, i mean i know that there's a bunch of stuff that makes iOS friendlier to it but i'm sure it was helped by the fact that they were building it from the beginning right so i guess that's a, that's a big difference interesting i, I understand where you guys are coming from in terms of why you choose the iPad affirmatively as opposed to it being, oh, let's, let's you know, use this as an alternative to a laptop because it's fun. But do you feel like you've had to make 
any major compromises or just make any adjustments? Are there things that you would really like to just uh, do? Would you just like the iPad to to get on with and and figure out how to do in a in a, in a way that is uh, to your better to your liking or more to your liking uh, than it might be in Mac OS? That wasn't phrased very well, but I think you get the idea. I think the there there are things that you I mean you definitely have to make adjustments because they're different systems. So there are things that are very very different. Um, you know, for example, on the Mac uh, when I'm working on my websites and doing some web development stuff, you know, I have terminal there. Um, I've got you know text edit or whatever if I want to write some code. I've got I use transmit to uh, to FTP uh, into the website servers and things like that. Um, and of course on iOS, you don't have any of that, uh, any of those same tools, uh, available. So, you, uh, you know, right. I've just started after getting this iPad trying to figure out, okay, how, how can I work on the website without, without needing my Mac? I need to figure out a way to do this. And, um, I'm so far I'm using Coda, uh, which is an app from panic specifically meant for that. Um, I've got a lot to learn <laughs> with the app still seems like it's working. It is accessible. Um, and that sort of thing, but, uh, you, it's definitely different and there, there's definitely some adjustments, but I'm trying to, I'm really trying to get to the point where there's so few barriers left on the, on the iPad, at least for most of the stuff I do, obviously without Xcode, that's going to be off the table. And until something like logic is available, I'm not going to be doing music, um, on the iPad, but like excluding those two things that I do pretty much, um, almost everything else is available and the, the barriers that are still there, they, they are frustrating, uh, from you know, time to time. And I, you find workarounds for some of them. Some of them you can't like accessing external storage is just beyond frustrating right now because I feel like all the pieces are there and we just still can't do it. Um, but yeah, so there there are still some walls, but uh, on the whole, I, I find iOS to be, uh, I don't want to necessarily say it. Well, I guess it is. It's more comfortable to use. They the it, not that not to say that the Mac is uncomfortable to use, um, because I've been a Mac user for time out of mind, um, and I know what I know the Mac inside and out um, as well. But there. The, the iOS is just, um, just like we said, it's just a a more pleasant experience on the whole. It's not possible really to use iOS without, like for, for as your main computing platform, without having to uncover some workarounds for some things. But I have found in most instances, there is a workaround if you want to find it. Sometimes it might be more than you want to do. Like I can record and edit podcasts on iOS, it's just more work than I want to have to go through for the benefit that I would get from that right now. Shortcuts is your friend most of the time. Like whenever anybody says to me, like, "Oh, how do you do this?" The first place I always look is shortcuts. Like, it, there's a lot in there, and with the right amount of prodding, prodding and poking, you can find a lot of stuff that you're looking for that you otherwise would think would not exist on iOS. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And you just got to get used to searching the app store. You know, like sometimes you might need two little utility apps to do something that is easy to do, very quick to do on the Mac or whatever, but it's like finding a balance and finding your trade-offs. And it doesn't bother me jumping around from app to app and doing things because at this point, 
and probably before my brain kind of just works like that so um it, it's fine for me shortcuts will be interesting when it's more mature and when people have figured out more ways to use it i mean i i've used it for productivity things so far but i feel like i've just scratched the surface and i also still feel like i'm jumping from place to place to place whether it's inside one shortcut or whether it's combining a shortcut with something else and and that feels a little frustrating to me but don't you feel like shortcuts are like just barely barely starting and that something really kind of amazing hopefully will will come out of that whether it's improvements to shortcuts itself as i say or just people finding incredible ways to use it allow it you know more apps that support it that sort of thing I love shortcuts. It's uh, it is such a great app, and I desperately want it to exist on the Mac, which is sort of uh, the opposite of what we've been talking about bringing you know bringing things over to the Mac uh, to iOS. There's I think there's probably more things on iOS that I would like to see come over to the Mac, and shortcuts would be the top of that list because I I never really was able to get my head all the way around Automator, um, whereas shortcuts is extremely intuitive to me like I've, I've done all kinds of stuff um more and more especially since it switched to shortcuts i feel like the the new layout um makes a little bit more sense even though it's not dramatically different it made a little more sense to me and i did have some stuff in workflow that i had done and i i did like workflow a lot but i feel like shortcuts has taken it to a whole whole other level that i really really um am enjoying yeah i i really do feel I feel confident in my belief that this isn't just like a, oh, this was that thing they did in iOS 12 and they just leave it. Um, it is a way to make iOS more powerful for the people that need it. Uh, it is a way to make Siri better. Um, there are a lot of different things that Apple can do with shortcuts and um, knowing the little that I do and, and, and understanding a little bit about how that team is 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 focused on what they're excited about. Uh, they seem, you know, I'm very confident as well. So like, I feel confident. I feel like they want to keep working on it. Otherwise they wouldn't have gone there in the first place because workflow was doing great. You know, when you started using the iPad, if not in a dominant role, at least, you know, actually doing work on it, maybe that's the way to find the dividing line. But when you started doing that, was there a desire to move to the iPad or was it more of a, experiment or proof of concept did you feel like well this will be fun or did you really say hey this is the platform that i would like to switch to as much as possible no for me yeah it wasn't i i, I had the first ipad i was fascinated by it uh, but i never really expected for it to take over as uh, any as any sort of primary device uh up until i think the ipad air 2 which was when i started seriously uh thinking and kind of wishing like wow i wish i wish this could be like my my portable computer the computer i take places the the thing i use outside on my deck or whatever uh the the device that is my essentially my laptop replacement and uh i it that's when it started to kind of become that for me but it took it took a while and it took until the ipad pro before it uh, really started to seriously become that. And I, I feel like f with these new 2018 iPads, I kind of feel like uh, for me, uh, we're there now. Like we've hit that, 
that point. And some of that I might have been I might have gotten there sooner if I had been using the larger iPad sooner. The twelve point nine has made a huge difference in the way I use the iPad and uh, the types of things I'm using it for. I think the for what I was trying to do with the nine point seven, a lot of times it was just too small. Is that mostly about multitasking? Multitasking and the size of the keyboard. It was like a slow creeping thing, right? Because <laughs> it was the first iPad Pro. I mean, when I got it, multitasking was just starting to exist. You know, like th- it was very different then. Like the first iPad Pro came out when multitasking came out. Um, so I think it was just like a creeping thing that over time, it's like the more I used it, the more I liked it. And then because I liked it so much, I wanted to use it more. So I just found things to do. So both of you being fans of iOS, I wonder how much is your phone a productivity device or is it just a communications device? Mine is pretty much just a communications and entertainment. I listen to podcasts. I listen to audiobooks. I listen to music. I will look at Twitter and things like that and text people and whatever. Like I'll use my phone like you would expect to use a phone. I don't really, outside of... Uh, a little bit of my task management app uh, management. Uh, that's about the only thing super productive I use the phone for. Uh, one of well, I guess one of the reasons that I wanted to use the iPad more was because I needed to use the phone for more work at that time in my life. Like when I started using the iPad. It was like a time when I needed to have a lot more flexibility in when and where I could work. So I was using my phone for more work stuff at the same time anyway. So I have and kind of always have done a lot of work stuff on my phone, you know, whether it's checking things, but also email. I do a lot of email on my phone. So I get a lot of text messages on my phone and stuff like that. Like even when I am at home, you know, like I'm not like necessarily chained to my iPad, but my phone is always with me. So, you know, somebody needs me on Slack, somebody sends me an email, uh, that kind of stuff. Like I can respond to them all. I frequently do respond to them all um, on my iPhone as well as, you know, using my iPad. So this is the fun part of the show where I ask you to make some uh, suggestions, recommendations. Well, I guess first start with, tell us, tell us about some apps that are really crucial to what you do that you really love and if if you'd like to uh, move that along to recommendation for other folks but but let's start with what are the apps that are really crucial to your success on the ipad see a lot of the stuff i use for my work is stuff that is obvious and boring (laughs) right so uh i use slack a lot right like i use the google docs applications um for all co- for collaborative stuff of course i i do use numbers uh, and pages um i use them for so pages i use to for contracts and stuff like that if i'm working on contracts to send to people i just get exported as pdfs i use numbers for a lot of like calculation stuff because i find the the sums and stuff that you can do right the the, the scientific calculations etc on in numbers to be easier for me to get my head around um, and it's plus just a nicer application to use on iOS than Google Sheets is, but Google Sheets is much more powerful in some ways that are important to me. Uh, for email, I use Spark. Um, I like Spark's 
service, not so much the application. I think the application can be a bit weird in places, but all email apps are kind of weird in their own ways. Uh, but Spark's team feature is very, very useful for me when collaborating with people uh, that I work with every day. Uh, big fan of PCalc on all my devices, especially on the iPad, because the iPad has no calculator. Uh, so it, it is my favorite calculator, and on my iPad, it's the only calculator that, that I would use. They're kind of like, you know, they're probably the big applications that I use to get my work done. I'm a, a huge fan of Apple Notes. I put a lot of stuff in there. You know, it's where I put a lot of little notes and little things that I'm working on, but it's also where I save links and stuff to, for talking about on my various uh, shows and different outlets. Uh, I used to do this for talk ma- task management. Um, use Trello for some project planning. Uh, I use an application called PipeDrive, which is a sales and CRM tool, which literally nobody should care about, but <laughs> I do, and it's really great for what I use it for. Um, so yeah, they're kind of like the, the main applications that I use every day uh, when it comes to getting my work done. Oh, I also use Chrome on iOS, which makes me one of the weirder iOS users. I need to try that because I use Chrome elsewhere. And I would love to just sync my the, the syncing the bookmarks is the main reason I would probably start that. But uh, glad to hear that it's good enough that somebody out there is using it. Mm-hmm. Josh, what are your go-to apps? Okay, so number one has got to be Scrivener for iOS. I knew you'd say that. Yeah, that's got to be number one. So uh, I obviously why Scrivener and not Ulysses. Uh, honestly, because I've used Scrivener on the Mac forever, and I've never tried Ulysses anywhere. <laughs> so uh, it's fair just, enough. It's inertia. Uh, also, Literature and Latte, the the company that makes Scrivener, has gone above and beyond accessibility wise on both platforms. It is amazing. Uh, what they have done and the kind of support that you get anytime I do run into an accessibility problem and email them. Uh, you know, it gets added to their queue. They're going to fix it. And in the meantime, here is step-by-step on how to get around uh, this problem from a voiceover user's perspective. So clearly somebody there knows how voiceover works and can tell you all the voiceover commands and everything that you need to do to accomplish whatever. Their support uh, for voiceover users is is insane. <laughs> it really is. So Scrivener on iOS is fantastic. Um, and of course that'll sync with the Mac version through Dropbox and all of that. So it works really, really well. Kind of along the same lines, I've got a lot of, uh, smaller apps that I also use for writing other things. I use, uh, ByWord somewhat, which is sort of a markdown, uh, application. You, You write markdown in it and then you can preview. That's mainly what I use it for. I think it does a few other things, but you can preview that as it's going to look when it gets converted to HTML. I use drafts uh, in part for note-taking and that sort of thing. And uh, also for making kind of like cheat sheets for myself that I know I'm going to want to refer back to uh, at some point um, frequently. And I find it a little bit easier to get in and out of than the notes app. So I really like using drafts. Plus there's a lot of automation stuff that you can uh, do with drafts like uh, they have a whole uh, gallery online of these actions that you can install to do different things with your texts um, that you write in there. So, uh, like one of the big things I use in there a lot is I'll compose micro.blog posts 
uh, in there and then uh, post them directly from drafts, which is really nice. I have recently started using Ferrite a lot more. Um, I've been playing with Ferrite for a couple of years and have started uh, using that a little bit more for some some uh, podcasts and projects I'm working on right now. Uh, and that app is also remarkably accessible given um, how complicated <laughs> a podcast uh, editing or audio editing uh, application can be. So uh, that's really cool. Um, I use shortcuts a lot. We've talked about that already. And, uh, I use remember the milk for my, uh, task management, not because I particularly like it, but because as far as accessibility goes, we have like depressingly few options on iOS of task managers that are accessible. I have tried a ton of them. Thank you, Federico. And most of them do not work at all accessibly. Um, and some of them are just have too many accessibility problems to really be practical. So remember the milk uh, works reasonably well with voiceover. So I use that one. And I think that's, uh, those are kind of the main ones that are, you know, as far as the things that are not, uh, I do use numbers as well. Um, from time to time, not a ton, but outside of the, the built-in apps, those are, I think those are kind of the main third-party ones. Can I ask you, Josh, a question about, um, about accessibility in apps? Is there any way for you to find out how accessible an app is other than buying it and trying it? <laughs> uh, not unless you've heard through the grapevine from someone else. Like That's a real shame. You must burn a lot of is. money that way. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I used to burn so a lot more. Go to appleviz.com first and take a look and make sure it's not notorious. Ask on Twitter is always a good idea. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, you basically just have to go to other. Go find, try to find someone else who has already burned the money before before you do it. Um, and you know, fortunately, you get so much of the accessibility for free if you're an app developer that a lot of times, even if an app is kind of terrible accessibility wise, a lot of times it'll at least be somewhat usable. Um, sometimes it'll be great. And of course, you know, the, the best ones are, are the, the ones where the developer has, has put the extra time in to really make it a good experience. And like Scrivener, like Overcast, um, like Remember the Milk, like a lot of, a lot of these, uh, developers do put the extra time in to, to do a good job. But, you know, a lot of times it's just hit and miss. And unfortunately, there are certain categories of apps. Like for a long time, it was Twitter apps where almost no third-party Twitter apps were accessible. And there, and in the really early days, there was no Twitter app on iOS. If you go far enough back, um, and uh, Twitterific is really great. Tweetings is really great now. So we have a, at least a couple to choose from now. But for a long time, you would get a Twitter app, and the entire app would be completely accessible except for the tweets. <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to read any tweets. And I had like That's just what you want though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 2018. Right. Look, it has I a nice think menu I bar. Mind that. <laughs> right. Just like just the UI and then just blank. It might be yep. a good thing for me, I think. Yep. And I had There's nothing on Twitter I can move along. <laughs> yeah. I I had like five or six of them that I was just keeping on my phone to see if the developers oh, would ever God. fix them and eventually, you know, I they all got deleted over time because they never were and 
you know, we, but we we do have a couple now, and of course the official Twitter app is is pretty accessible. But you know, it's it's uh, it's hit and miss, and sometimes it can be really frustrating, especially if there's you know an app you really need to use and you really want to use, mm-hmm. or there's the you know the cool new thing that everyone's talking about on all the podcasts, and you download it and like, oh no, I can't use that one. Oh well. I, I, the, the, the love for Tweetbot just always kills me because that is a notoriously inaccessible app and they are notorious about not responding to feedback. Wow. And, uh, oh, well, I mean, that's just in general with chatbots. They seem to not really. Um, I I have a question. I can't think of a good way to phrase this question. So excuse the way that I ask the question. (laughs) You cannot offend me. (laughs) I will say, uh, do you get a sense for like what makes a developer? do the work to make an app voiceover or accessible in general. I mean, obviously there are many very good reasons why somebody should do it, but obviously that doesn't extend to everyone. So like, do you, do you get a sense for, for what it, for why some developers are better than others? So I think, um, I think the, probably the main reason uh, let, I'm going to come at it kind of from the other end. And I think one of the, the main deterrents for, uh, for a lot of developers from doing it is they think it's going to be more work than it actually is. And mm-hmm. Apple has made it um, actually very easy to, uh, to make apps not only accessible, but a really good experience for voiceover users w- with a very minimal amount of work. And... Um, in and I think most developers, you know, they they either look at their, their, you know, they turn on voiceover and they start looking at like how how's how is my app with voiceover? Oh, this is terrible. This is going to be a huge amount of work to fix. When really, you know, even uh, half an hour's worth of work could fix most of the problems. And you know, kind of uh, an example of this. Not not so much of the developer. It was one of those things the developer just hadn't gotten around to. He wanted to make the uh, app accessible is the, the microblog client that I'm using now, which is called Icro, I-C-R-O. And it's uh, an open source project uh, now. It wasn't when it first started. And I had been in touch with the developer, and we'd been going back and forth, and he's like, yeah, I've got, you know, I want to do some stuff with accessibility, but I you know, don't really have the time for that. This is just a side project, blah, blah, blah. And he eventually uh, open-sourced it. And then I was able to just download the source code, fix all the accessibility problems in like a couple of hours, and then submitted it back uh, to him as a pull pull request for him to incorporate in the app. And now all my fixes are part of the app. And it didn't take that much work. Um, And uh, and that was, you know, it, it would have been quicker had I been super familiar with Swift, but I was... Not yet. At that point, I I knew the basics of Swift and that sort of thing, and I was coming at this from well, this is sort of my first real Swift project, and even with that, it only took it only took a couple of hours, and I had most of it uh, working. The um, there was one one uh, specific uh, aspect of it which was uh, dealing with uh, the descriptions that people can put in for images. Uh, in their posts that um, ended up being a little bit trickier and that took me a little bit longer but the rest of it I had you know I had a working app in in a couple of hours on my machine it you know it hadn't been released yet and he hadn't incorporated it yet but I had a working app uh, pretty quickly and I don't think a lot of developers realize how much of a difference they can make with 
the with you know with a small uh, amount of effort. I only have the smallest amount of experience with this, but we made an iOS sticker pack when sticker packs I had were the it. thing to make. <laughs> Great. I had to spend not a long time, but an amount of time getting the pronunciations of names correctly when, when uh, voiceover would speak them because it would otherwise mangle them like, uh, Vitici. <laughs> I remember you talking about that. Yeah. The Tichi, we have the Tichi seal of quality, and it would call it the Tiki, the Tiki. <laughs> so I had to like, re- like backwards engineer how it, it could be pronounced. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun. I, I also think that like Mike is not spelt with a Y like I do. Um, I think I spelt with an I, right? Because like, there's like a bunch of things where it's like you. Ha- I had to like find these really strange pronunciations <laughs> uh, f- for stuff. But so I guess it's like it's little things like that. But I would probably expect that most. I would expect you come across that kind of stuff a lot, where things are pronounced very weirdly, but you're kind of used to it and work it out on your own. Yeah, yeah, you get you definitely get used to things. Just some things are never going to be, <laughs> never going to be pronounced quite right. And it's gotten better over the years. I mean, the 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 various speech engines. I mean, they all all the different voices, uh, you know, have their own quirks and will say certain things differently yeah. as well. But you know, it's gotten better over the years. Like you go back to you know when I was using an Apple II back in the eighties, and you know it didn't even say my name <laughs> right. So in the in the very first iterations, so uh, it was Joshua. If I wrote my full <laughs> name, so and this was you know nineteen eighty five, I think. Um, it sounds so fancy. I'm surprised it didn't stick. Joshua. Yeah, yeah, right. Hi, I'm Especially Joshua. for an author, you should have kept that. I'm uh, sure. Yeah, wow. yeah. No one's gonna forget that. The yeah. problem is they just nobody would know how to spell it. Like, cause I, I don't know if you would know. Like, that, that, oh, you're just trying to say Joshua. Right? Yeah, that yeah. was. I think it was called the Echo Plus. Was the synthesizer that it was using? It was. It was basically like the very first one that my school still had. That was from like 19. 19- 79 or something like that it was a really old one and then they got some newer ones that had the echo 2 on them which was the the newer version of it that did say it right finally but uh, those older ones it was it was hilariously awful so when uh, my, my husband has a long germanic sounding name and when I was working on the first edition of the book, when the, when the, I forget it, maybe it was iOS 10, the, the di- first edition of the book where I was writing about the pronunciation editor, uh, I said, oh, I'm going to give it his name and it's going to mangle it and I'm going to fix it and that'll be my example in the book. But Alex pronounces his name correctly. Now, the English female voice does not. So I am at a loss as to where all the intelligence for that stuff is. But as long as we don't, as I don't use the English female voice when I need to have his name spoken on my machine, I'm all right. I suppose. So on the whole, I think Alex is by far one of the best. Like you can put some really, really obscure stuff uh, into the system, and Alex gets it right more times than you would expect. It's, and then you know that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand that. Like. If it's the same company that makes the voice, I, obviously I don't understand enough about how this technology works. But like that just seems super strange to me that it's like we can make these two voices, like we the company makes them, 
but some pronounce them different than others. Is it like the library that they're drawing from? Yeah, well, and I think some of the iOS voices, I think, came from Nuance originally. I think they're licensed yeah, they from Nuance. Yeah, so oh, so they're okay. not actually all okay. developed by Apple, whereas Alex straight up is an, Al- uh, is an Apple voice. Like, that doesn't exist anywhere else. Right, so. right. So they've taken a different approach, whatever that's ended up being. Okay. And and since since we're talking about voices, I'm just going to take this opportunity to do a little upgrade feedback. I actually put this on Twitter, and I don't know if you saw it, Mike, but uh, Jason was talking a while back about trying to get the uh, Fred voice out of iOS for the incomparable. And I pointed out to him, yes, the Fred voice is on iOS, and I gave him some very quick instructions about how he could do that. The issue, of course, was recording from the iOS device. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so Fred lives... Even though I, I was startled by that too, I didn't remember there are a lot of voices in iOS, but I didn't. Victoria's probably there. Fred, all the old standbys. <laughs> so the, the, again, uh, I think the way that I would imagine he could have done the recording if he didn't work out on his own, do a screen recording with the input being the phone, and then you could use shortcuts to extract the audio from the video. Yeah, yeah, that, that would probably seem work sensible. Out. That makes it make sense. Yep. There you go. Well done. We've we've solved it. Well, let's see. Way, way back when, and and not not that this wasn't a fabulous discussion. I can talk about voices all day too. But uh, uh, so the the next thing I thought I'd ask is about your favorite iPad accessories. Mike's already talked about the bridge keyboard, but especially given that we're moving into the brave new world of uh, USB C, what kinds of things do you have? Do you want? Do you wish you had? Uh, well, so far, I mean, outside of you know the the folio keyboard we already talked about as well, uh, I think the thing the accessory that um, really worked well, and I I already had it for my my MacBook, and was really surprised just how well it worked with the iPad, uh, was I have a uh, Scarlet, was it Scarlet Solo two by two. Um, which is an audio interface for um, XLR microphones, basically. And uh, it has a uh, USB. Uh, I'm using a, uh, what is it? USB-B <laughs> to USB-C uh, cable, because it's one of those like square printer cable type things mm, that goes in the yeah. back of it. Um, but uh, I use that for um, uh, recording podcasts and music uh, vocals and that sort of thing. And uh, I've used it on the Mac for about a year uh, now. And when I plugged it into the uh, iPad Pro just to see, hey, can I record a podcast, uh, you know, solo podcast? I'm not going to be on Skype or anything. Can I record a podcast with this uh, directly on my uh, iPad by the USB-C port? And uh, it worked like flawlessly. I basically had to do nothing. I plugged it in. It started, uh, it automatically switched over to the microphone for the input for recording. Voiceover was piped through to the uh, monitor out on the Scarlet and everything was, was perfect. And I was really blown away just by, I mean, it's not that easy when I plug it into the Mac, I got to go into system preferences and choose it as an output and all of that stuff. And the Mac isn't doing any of that automatically for me. Um, so I was really, really pleased with that. Other than that, I haven't gotten anything yet. I've only had my 2018 iPad Pro for like three weeks. So um, I'm still uh, still looking at maybe getting some other stuff. So I'm, obviously I mentioned the Apple stuff, right? I love the Apple Pencil of the Smart Keyboard Folio. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Bridge products in the past. Can't wait for their new ones. 
Um, I'm on a constant search to find the right iPad stand. Uh, I'm trying to focus on thinking about ergonomics with iPads. Like, if I'm sitting down and doing some work at a table or at a desk, I want to have my iPad at uh, eye height, and then I use a magic keyboard, which I have. Um, and I just found a stand a couple of days ago um, on Amazon that it's nearly what I want. It gives me the right height and adjustability, um, but I... With the way that the stand kind of works, I have to remove my Apple Pencil to to connect it in, which I don't think is that bad. Um, and it's called the Clear Look Stand with a K, and it's all one word. And it's I found it on Amazon. I just go to Amazon and search for iPad stand, and then buy whatever interesting ones pop up. Um, and this one, I quite I think I quite like it. It's a it's an interesting little product. Um, it's built pretty well. It's weighted pretty well. It, it goes really high and still is relatively stable. It's, it's as stable as it, it could be within the laws of the physics. Um, I, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool little product. I think a lot of people might get some use out of it. I, I, I've only been using it for a couple of days at this point, so I haven't really spoken about it in any depth anywhere else. Um, but I, I think this is pretty good. I, I, I'm trying to think about stuff like this more uh, because... I think that iOS devices can be not good for ergonomics. Um, so I'm just trying to focus on that a little bit more. And this is something I like. I'm super intrigued to see what USB-C can bring to me. Uh, I'm hoping that like Apple does some stuff to enhance things. But the, the, the idea of having the ability to plug anything that has a USB-C connection into my iPad and what that could potentially mean in the future is, is really exciting. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to some of the tools that I use every day, like audio production tools and stuff like that. So I'm very keen to see where it goes. I'm with you on stands. And in fact, for me, it's the iPad itself and the combination of an iPad with stands is an interesting accessibility situation because as somebody with low vision, I sit very close to the screen. And so in a way, an iPad that is positioned just right, completely separate from its keyboard, which is why I have an issue with laptops, is perfect because I can put that iPad at eye height. I can put the keyboard at an ergonomically comfortable place. Sometimes that looks odd to people who don't have my visual uh, situation, but I I love the flex the awesome the, the flexibility of iPad stands. I have one that's it's really cheap. I bought this twenty dollar thing on Amazon. That's a clamp that you, you can clamp to a desk, and then it has a flexible arm, and then the iPad sits in it, and that lives in my kitchen, and that's where I put the iPad when I'm cooking or something. And then I have another one uh, that uh, is just like a has got a swivel and it's got a stand, but there's several inches between the base of the iPad and the uh, base of base of the stand and the iPad. And, and I'm not remembering the brand names because these were all like impulse cheap purchases that I made because they looked cool. And because uh, that that that's to me is like why I would want to move more in an iPad direction away from a laptop because for me using using a laptop without an external monitor is this maddening experience. I hunch over. I look as if I probably need back surgery after I've done it for a while, and and uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, I uh, I, I, I need you to. You might get... like this stand. Yeah, uh, I sent a link to you. It, it's, oh, awesome! It gets the it's the it's the tallest stand that I've seen. Ooh, that's um, exciting! And it has really good adjustability, so uh, I think I, I think this one could work. 
Very cool. So uh, I, I was asking you guys before uh, I invited you on the show about your iPad stuff, and, and Josh said, well, we got the 2018, and he got the keyboard folio, and then he said something I didn't expect. He said, I got an Apple Pencil, and I'm just going to ask Josh the question that somebody uh, who knew you really well could, could ask uh, just, just really uh, clearly and abruptly, but somebody who, who didn't know you well might hesitate. Josh, you're a blind person. Why did you buy an Apple Pencil? <laughs> All right, so this is this is uh, okay. So yeah, hmm, how am I going to answer this? So curiosity. Okay, so if I'm completely honest, curiosity was a big, big driver of this. I wanted to see uh, what using an Apple Pencil with VoiceOver would be like. Um, specifically, I wanted to try it out. VoiceOver has a feature for those that don't know, where you can input text. Uh, through drawing the letters on the screen. And they call it handwriting uh, mode. And you can draw the print letters on the screen and it will uh, convert those into typed letters in like a text field or whatever. So I wanted to see, you know, would this be any easier uh, with an Apple Pencil rather than trying to draw it with my finger? Um, I uh, I wanted to see just how, like, in general use, because uh, this is par- partially your fault, Mike. Uh, you've talked about how you like using the Apple Pencil just, like, for general uh, use of the device instead of your, your finger. And I kind of wanted to see what, what would that be like with voiceover. And uh, kind of the the pipe dream reason in the end that I'm, I'm hoping to find some time to work on is uh, as a kid, before I lost my vision, I did a ton of drawing. And I uh, later on, after I lost my vision, I would sit on my old Apple IIgs, and I, part of when I learned to program was, okay, how can I draw, you know, use, in AppleSoft Basic, how can I draw pictures on the screen and use the colors and, and all that stuff? And I had, you know, then I progressed, and I was like, well, okay, now I've got these probably what looked like horrendous blocky things because it was like a 40 by 40 grid was all that you could do in in those days or early on anyway and i was like okay well now i'm going to try to animate this and i had like the starship enterprise going into warp and whatever i tried to doing all these things and what i would like to do is to see if i can since i i do some ios development some general development in general. I want to see if I can put together an accessible drawing app that works with the pencil. I don't know if that will be possible. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know when I'm going to find the time to work on that, but that's something I really, really want to exist. So, um, and I don't think anyone else is crazy enough to try. So, Is there any way that voiceover interacts directly with a pencil? I've, I've never had one. I've never even held one. So I don't even know if there's a anything specific that the pencil needs to do in order for for it to interact with voiceover so i'm guessing not no it just so in normal usage it just acts like it's your finger um and it does you can do the voiceover gestures the drawback to that of course is that a lot of voiceover gestures require more than one finger um so none of those Mm. work so it's single finger things it's great for the scrub though right (laughs) yeah yeah right the scrub gesture um would be a problem um you can you can do uh, you know the flicking forward and back and all that that stuff all works though so and you can do the double tap with it and that sort of thing and they actually do have some like very rudimentary support for the pencil like if you go into notes and you tell it you want to draw a sketch um, you know voiceover tells you okay double tap and hold with the pencil and then you can draw 
that's kind of maddening because first of all, you have no idea uh, how well you're doing because you get no feedback um, either while you're drawing or when you're done, you have, <laughs> you don't really know what you've created. And anytime you lift the pencil, you then have to double tap and hold again to continue drawing. So it's, um, it's tricky, but it's, it, it, it is something I, w I want to continue to play with and, and see what could, uh, cause the, the, there's, I feel like there is untapped potential there. And, uh, as it were. Yeah, and I, I hope that eventually there will be more that we'll be able to do with it. Have you used it in ferrite at all? I think I would, maybe it was uh, maybe it was Jason talking about uh, ferrite in the pencil. Yeah, I have not figured out any way to do that as far as voiceover is concerned because they've yeah. they've got so much custom uh, so much custom stuff in there for voiceover already that I think it would just be overwriting anything you're trying to do with the pencil anyway. So. Yeah. Uh, if there's a way to do it, I haven't figured it out yet. All right, Mike, now it's time for you to account for yourself. Please tell the people, I know you've told the people this on a few occasions, but 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 tell tell my part of the people, why do you have two brand new iPads? <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was the question coming my way. Um, I use two iPads every day for different things. So the easiest way that I can explain this to somebody is in a thing that is not considered to be crazy, is that you have a desktop Mac and a laptop. Lots of people have this. They'll have like an iMac and a MacBook. That's how my devices are run. My 12.9-inch iPad is my big machine. That is the machine that I will work with all day. That's the one that I use. When I am in bed reading watching videos, that kind of stuff, I use the smaller iPad. And the smaller iPad is also the one that I travel with. So that's kind of why I have two. It's a, you know, it's it's not, I, I, I don't uh, attest to this being like perfect reasoning for having two iPads, but it's the reason I have. This sort of leads into my, my next question, which is for both of you, but I'm wondering, app, there's been a lot made of, iPad sales and to the extent to which people feel like they need to keep or they want to keep their iPads longer, they don't age out as quickly as perhaps even the phones do. I mean, so I'm wondering how long you typically keep an iPad uh, and why, I guess, this year was the time you chose to, to go ahead and get new ones. Well, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> With disposable I, income. I will buy them always. Uh, I will buy them always. And, uh, d d you know, there's a I have a couple of reasons. One, I am that kind of nerd in that I always want the latest and greatest. Another is that in the position that I now am in, in my life, there is an expectation for me to have the newest products because... People want to listen to the shows that I do every week and be able to talk about the new products and can whether people just find that for entertainment reasons or they want to me and my co-hosts to help them inform their future purchase decisions. So that's another reason. Uh, they're, they're the two reasons that I get it. One, I'm terrible. I can't stop myself. And the other is I have some kind of professional responsibility. But the iPads that I don't, use anymore will typically find a new place either they will 
fill a need in my home for something that we have an ipad that is just in the kitchen which we use for recipes and stuff like it just lives in the kitchen and other than that you know there's like the family shuffle you know so like i just gave my wife uh, one of my previous ipad pros i'm gonna give my mum an an older ipad pro that was doing some other stuff in the house like I, i will find my way to move them or then recycle them so that that's typically what will happen and and so the the actual life cycle of an iPad that I buy is multiple years just not by me but like it will always find a use somewhere until it runs out of uses and then it will be recycled or sold you know like I can sell them on eBay or whatever for a smaller amount of money so that that's kind of what will happen and then they'll continue living on being used by somebody else so I was just sitting here thinking as Mike was talking and I realized that apparently uh, I get a new iPad, iPad every even numbered year. And I don't know <laughs> why that is the case, but that has been the case. I got the, I had the original iPad in 2010. I had the, I, what did they call it? The new iPad, I think in 2012, the iPad Air 2 in 2014, the 9.7 inch Pro in 2016. And now I've got the 12.9 in 2018. So to be perfectly honest, I do love all the new and shiny. Like you said, I would be buying one every year if I could possibly justify that or afford it. Um, I would love to to be in that position, but um, it's basically I think whenever it, it whenever it comes around to I can afford this now, and I've got some justifications for for it. So I've been wanting the twelve point nine iPad for a while. I have to have a big trip coming out where we've gone for uh, several weeks and uh, I'm planning uh, this time to, to for the first time ever to just take the iPad and leave the MacBook behind, which is slightly terrifying. Um, but I, I'm going to do that. So I wanted to get, get, get a new iPad for that. Um, and you know, if I could do it more often, I would, it, it's just kind of when, when the time comes around that I can do it and uh, can justify it in some form or fashion, uh, that tends to be when I get a new one. It does help that, in general, my previous iPad goes to my wife when I'm done with it. So it's still in the house and it's still being used. And then when she's done with it, because she's getting another one from me, then that one goes to someone else in the family and it, you know they continue to to live on. So another show I have thought about doing, and it would cause too much trouble, and I won't get to do it, but I'm going to mention the idea anyway, is I want to get the spouses, usually wives, but not always, the spouses of podcasters to talk about their hand-me-down experiences <laughs> and whether <laughs> they ever great. get anything new or would like something new, because I feel so bad. If, oh, my wife got my old one. I hear that so I often. I did buy just... my wife an iPhone 10, a new one. <laughs> I did buy her one. And I, I am trying to convince my wife to let me buy you, please let me give you an iPhone 10R. She is still using an iPhone 6 Plus from 2014. <laughs> she hates upgrading. She hates spending money. And uh, so it's been a little bit of a struggle, but her, her phone needs to be replaced. It's terrible. You need to take advantage of that of that limited time give back offer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's, that's how you tell her. An iPhone 6 Plus, you could get an iPhone 10 off for $549. There you go. Look at that. That's, that's a, it's a fine can phone. I ask, can I ask one, one more question of Josh? <laughs> sure. About the iPad hardware. Um, is the most recent iPad hardware 
does it have any advantages or disadvantages for you with with being a blind person? Like, is there anything about the hardware which is tricky? Like, or like, so for example, like the home button not being there or whatever, um, or is there anything about it which is easier? I'm just, I'm just interested. Okay, so I love not having a home button. I've got the iPhone okay. 10 as well, and I the sw- they've got the swipe up gesture working great with voiceover. So um, that part of it's great. The probably the trickiest thing to deal with, which I'm I'm managing fairly well. Uh, with the iPad is the lack of the headphone jack because that's oh. how you use voiceover. You like basically it's oh. you know Duh, of course because yeah. otherwise you're <laughs> that's a blaring. question I meant to include because I think that would drive me mad with no headphone jack. On you're you're yeah. you're otherwise blaring out everything you're doing to the room at large, whether that's you know my wife while she's asleep having you know to hear stuff or. Uh, you know, if, you know, if I'm out somewhere, the library or something. So I've got AirPods, which I use with my phone. Um, but it's also sort of a pain to switch between devices with the AirPods with voiceover because you have to go into control sender and, uh, you know, on the iPad, t- tap and hold on the, uh, on the playback area and then choose show destination and then choose the AirPods. Well, voiceover's chattering through all of that so if it's you know midnight and my wife's asleep really it's terrible Mm -hmm. so um so i use wired a lot with um with the ipad and the you know the little usb-c to uh 3.5 millimeter uh adapters i've got uh, I don't know. I bought too many of them. I think I've got six of them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them just live uh, connected to some of the headphones. Some of them are still in the boxes for when they inevitably die and I have to replace them. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest annoyance. It's not as big of an annoyance as I thought it would be, but it's more of one than the iPhone was because I have the AirPods for the iPhone. They, that's all I use the AirPods with is the iPhone. So they're always connected and it's not really um, a problem there. On the iPad, right. it is a little bit more um, frustrating. But How is Face well, ID for like, you? Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I love Face ID uh, as well. I know some, some uh, blind people str- have struggled with the setup of it, but I think... Um, you know, if, as long as you got the phone in front of you (laughs) and also I will, I will say, I think since I was 12 on the, on the iPhone and definitely with these new iPads, it seems like the, the range of positions you can be in, um, has improved quite a lot. So you don't have to be, you don't have to have it quite so perfectly aligned, um, anymore. So, um, I, I like face ID. It's, it's nice. Cause do you have attention detection on or off? Um, uh, so I've gone back and forth on that. I generally have it on. Um, and I know for some pe- blind people that's worked fine. Some haven't, I think it depends a lot on visually, you know, what your vision problem is, what your, what your eyes look like to the system, because they, they can, yep. that can vary. Um, for me, my, my vision problem is nerve based. So, um, I, you know, I can control which way my eyes are looking in air quotes and that sort of thing. So I generally keep it on. I've used it both ways and it's a little bit easier not to have to think about it with the attention detection off, but generally I just left it on. And I would imagine with the iPad, because you're not moving it, it's probably in a stand or it's on a desk or something, you're going to have a consistent way of 
addressing it, facing it. Whereas the phone, it could be in your hand, it could be faced a little away from you. I would think the iPad would be a much easier face ID because I've had trouble with face ID on my 10R, uh, and I I don't know. I have to work on that. But uh, do you, is, the, is the iPad significantly different for you in terms of your experience? If you had good experience with the phone, maybe it's not. But For face ID? Yeah. It's, um, it's not really all that much different. I mean, you're right. It's in a more consistent position because it's, I, I often got it in the uh, in the keyboard, uh, posi- you know, keyboard right. setup. Um, but for the most part, it's, uh, it's been pretty much the same as the phone and I don't really have much trouble with either one. Cool. Well, this has been great. And, uh, there's so many more things we could have talked about, but, uh, I promised the people a, a relatively consistent length of podcasts. So I think I'll uh, bring the train into the station and uh, thank Josh and Mike so much for being my guest. But before we go, we have the one more thing question, which this time is when did you get your first iPad? And if you happen to know where it is now, where is it? I don't know where it is. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you. But I got the original. Um, I think it came out in like late 2010 in the UK, but I got it on day one in late 2010. So uh, I, too, had the original iPad. Uh, my then-girlfriend, now wife, and I went to the Apple store day of and stood in a huge line of hundreds of people trying to get the iPad that day. And ultimately, I got one, and she didn't because they ran out, um, which was very sad. Oh, no. uh, but we then went to <laughs> a... We went to a Best Buy uh, right afterward and got it one, so they they had some in stock at Best Buy. But um, that iPad, uh, still running iOS 5, is still in use by my (laughs) father-in-law to this day. (laughs) It is still uh, being used. So he he got it back from uh, me in 2012, I think, uh, or 2013, and uh, it's... It doesn't. A lot of stuff does not work on it anymore. But the YouTube app does not work. Remember that when there was a built-in yes, YouTube I do. app, it is does not work. And Safari is constantly crashing because the websites are too big, and then the web, iPad doesn't have enough memory to show them, and all kinds of things. But he still uses it, so it's still there. It's still so I always take the opportunity to answer this question too. So I also got an original iPad, ostensibly for my mother, who. I was oh, she's she was she's older and I had fears about getting her a computer even a Mac that she would be able to deal with it without my being on constant tech support. So the iPad seemed to make sense. So I bought one, and I liked it so much. I figured I would keep it. It was it was not out of my mind, but I, I liked it so much that I kept it. And then I bought her one later on. And so uh, those iPads made their way through my sister's kids. I don't know where they are now. I think they're out of commission. But a, a related story I'll tell is that. Um, I work at a radio station now, and they have a an original iPad, first-gen iPad, in the studio, sort of as ostensibly as part of a mobile kit. And they were going to do a remote, and uh, our engineer handed me the iPad, and he said, hey, could I do FaceTime on this? I said, well, no, you can't, because FaceTime <laughs> didn't exist. And uh, so he said, how about Skype? And I said, well, let me find out. And sure enough, you could not load the Skype app. But that is the last time I saw the YouTube app icon, and that was exactly my reaction. Oh, yeah, YouTube. But... Uh, he I, he can't bear to throw away that iPad, but I don't think he might be able to browse the web, and that's about it. But uh, it still sits there in the kit with all the fancy radio gear. So 
Uh, I want to thank both uh, uh, Josh DeLancourt and Mike Hurley for being my guests today and give them a chance to tell you all where they can be found online. Mike, so many places, but but where can people find you? These days, I like using Instagram a lot. So I'm iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Instagram. And you can find uh, all of my shows at Relay.fm. Uh, where this you will find this show as well. That's so. right. Proud member of all the, the great shows. Network. All the great Thank shows. You. And uh, you, you, Josh. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find all of my uh, writing and such at lioncourt.com, L-I-O-N-C-O-U-R-T.com. I'm on Twitter as Lioncourt and on micro.blog as Lioncourt. The Lioncourt everywhere. Consistency is good. You can find this podcast at Parallel Pods on Twitter. That's all one word. Or, as I mentioned, as Mike mentioned, a proud member of the Relay FM network at relay.fm slash parallel. If you want to chat with me on Twitter, you can find me at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. And I will be back with another edition of the Parallel in two weeks' time. Until then, enjoy those iPads. Bye now. <laughs>